Verbally Effective with Ina Esco is an interview-style podcast that intersects art, culture, politics, and entertainment with a Memphis focus. With producer Sanaa Marie, each week I'm joined by a featured guest with roots in Memphis. Verbally Effective delves into each guest's personal journey to uncover the incredible stories fueling their purpose, the highs and lows of their pursuits, and how through their passion, they are moving the culture forward. Be sure to follow Verbally Effective and Ina Esco on Instagram. Also, download the Verbally Effective podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Don't forget to check out the website and submit to be a guest at verballyeffective.com. Hey, what's up? This is Devin Steele. I'm hanging out with Ina Esco on the Verbally Effective podcast. So make sure that you check it out right here. Verbally Effective with Ina Esco. Hey, it's your girl Shayna J with SJ Entertainment here to fulfill all of your entertainment needs. And I'm with my girl Ina Esco with the Verbally Effective podcast. My name is Corey Sparks. I am verbally effective because I'm a 20-year veteran of the music business, among other things, and I specialize in results. For over 20 years, Corey Sparks has been a well-respected name among media and entertainment influencers. In the transformation of Epic Records, Corey earned a coveted role as Director of National Urban Promotions, making him an emerging industry leader to watch. A native of East St. Louis, Illinois, Corey received a Bachelor of Arts degree in journalism from Lane College and studied communication research in the graduate program at Middle Tennessee State University. A former radio personality, Corey got his start at Cumulus Media in Nashville, where he doubled as promotions manager. He quickly developed a track record delivering results under pressure, leading creative grassroots marketing strategies, and maintaining key relationships in the entertainment industry. In 1999, Corey embarked on the dream of becoming an entrepreneur and launched SIT Marketing, an independent promotions and marketing company specializing in grassroots urban marketing promotional campaigns, mix show radio, street club promotions, and special events. Later, Universal Music Group Geffen Records relocated Corey to Memphis, Tennessee for the position as regional promotion manager where he secured airplay at urban stations for artists such as Mary J. Blige, Snoop Dogg, Macy Gray, Common, and Keisha Cole. Shortly after, Corey became the regional radio marketing and promotions representative at E1 Entertainment where he secured airplay and product releases throughout the Southeast region for artists such as Jim Jones, Ray J, Zwille, Sean Kingston, and Foxy Brown. Verbally effective, your double E, Ina Esco. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of the Verbally Effective podcast. 
podcast and you know we're still undergoing COVID-19 now I am still bringing in the heavy hitter guest and today I have a true hustler on the episode today for Verbally Effective. I've known this guy for quite a long time in my days with radio. He is the director of National Urban Programming at Epic Records. He's also the owner of Spark Brand LLC and an award-winning marketing and branding professional. I got on the line, Corey Sparks. What's up, Sparks? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I have a, I have a, hey, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. No autographs, please. No autographs right now. Oh, no, no wow. autographs right now. I'll sign them after the episode. I'll digitally sign autographs. Thank you for having me, Ina. Thank you for joining me. How are you doing today, <laughs> Corey? I know it's a lot going on in this world, but how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm trying to keep my spirits up. I can't complain. Um, I'm, I'm in a good place. You know, despite what's going on in the world and with black people, but um, I'm surviving. I can't, I can't complain. Definitely. Now, we're going to start at the beginning because you are actually a native of St. Louis, Missouri. East St. Louis. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm, from East, I'm from East St. Louis, Illinois. Oh. From the East Side. East St. Louis, Illinois. Give me yeah, right. East Side. You, Get me you, together. Yeah, you, can't, you can't do, look here, it's, it's a difference. It's it definitely is. a difference. It's definitely a difference. <laughs> And my people in East Saint would be like, "Oh, for real?" Oh, <laughs> so, nah, wow. we, ain't, we ain't doing that. Yeah, from East Saint Louis, Illinois. East Saint Louis, Illinois. Corey, tell me about yep. growing up in East Saint Louis, Illinois. East Saint Louis, um, very, it's very, it's a ghetto, poverty stricken, um, lots of culture, but definitely ghetto as well. I've moved around my entire life. I've lived in East St. Louis. I lived in St. Louis, Springfield, Illinois, um, Birmingham. I lived in Germany with my mother married my stepfather for two and a half years. Mm. I've been around, but East St. Louis is my roots, both my parents, my whole family. That's from East St. Louis and uh, across the bridge in St. Louis. So that's, that's my, that's my hometown. I love it. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy to go back because it's a it's a poverty stricken city Mm. but it's my it's my city it is what it is wow so tell me about you know uh you growing up in that area like you know when you were let's I guess start at about high school what high school did you attend and you know what were you into as a teenager Corey Sparks as a teen well I was um I was I moved around a lot, so I moved from East St. Louis to St. Louis, and then when I went to middle school, I moved in with my father who lived in Springfield, Illinois, which is about fifty, sixty miles from East St. Louis, mm. because my father worked for the state of Illinois. My primary I was a sports guy. I was a jock. I played football. I wrestled. And I ran track. Um, <laughs> pretty much all city. Tracks, went to state, wrestled, went to regionals, city champ. Um, I was an athlete, but I was always, I always knew that I wanted to do music. I just didn't know how to do it because I wasn't around it. Because living in the Midwest, you just don't see it like you live in LA, New York, or even possibly Atlanta. 
You mm-hmm. just don't. You just didn't see it in the Midwest. So I didn't know how I was going to do it. I knew that it was going to be a ceiling for me, far as with um, playing sports, because when I got out of when I went out of high school, I went to college, and even when I got I played football in college for a year, I just knew that I didn't want to do that anymore. I knew it was something else I wanted to do, and I started setting my goals to you know get there. Wow. So you, okay. So you, I did not know this about you, Corey. You were an athlete and. Absolutely. Wow. I I was an athlete as well. So I know, you know, as an athlete, we're very competitive, outgoing. Um, Sounds like when you hit college though, you knew you needed to set those goals for what you wanted to approach with music. So how did you do that? And what did you do? Well, my first thing with music, I wanted to be in radio. I grew up St. Louis Magic went away that film the um, I think I want to say the morning show was called The Breakfast Club mm. before The Breakfast Club like and at night there was also a job named Doc Winters Doc Winters is SVP of programming for all of our heart now mm-hmm. but he used to be the quiet star in St. Louis and I just used to used to sit by the I always love music. I didn't know how to be in a business. I just I watched TV. I watched I was doing TV raps. I was the basement. Uh, everything that came on t- anything music related, I watched it. I didn't know how I was going to be in the business. But my primary focus at first was radio. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be on the radio. Um, I didn't know in what capacity. I didn't know if I wanted to be a job. But I knew that radio was going to be probably my start and possibly my finish. I didn't know. I thought because I knew that was a part of the business, I was like, well, I'll be in radio. And it took me a minute to get to radio, but I got there. Mm. So how did you get there, Corey? When I was in college, I went to Lane College, Jackson, Tennessee. I'm a Laneite. Okay, Lane. HBCU. <laughs> and, I, and I worked at... Um, well, a junior friend of mine named Rich worked at the radio station in town. So I used to go up there when he was on air and pretty much like to sit there. And I was, at the time, I was the editor of the school newspaper, but I wanted to be in radio. I was just trying anything to get my foot wet, my feet wet, just to, so I can get in the business. So I was on air with him a couple times, learning some stuff. Left MTSU, I went to um, Middle Tennessee State University for grad school. I, w- I had a radio show there. Mm. Me and this guy, we got like voted like one of the top shows on campus. We were buck wild, <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. To say the least. Tell me about we that radio committed. show. Tell me about your show at um, MTSU. It was me and a friend of mine named Naron Bryant. He's from DC. And he had a show, and then I used to be on the show with him, and we would literally just be on there cutting the fuck up, mm-hmm. like for real. And we, <laughs> I was, I don't know how my my on air name was crazy, and I it was just I don't know how I got it. It was wild, <laughs> and we were, but we were my on air name was the Raw Dog Assassin. It was what I don't know how the Raw Dog Assassin. <laughs> The Raw Dog Assassin. Okay, Corey Sparks, yeah. the Raw Dog Assassin. Day, I, don't know, <laughs> I don't know how I got it, but I was I was a wild I was wild in college. I was wild in high school, college, grad school. I was I'm I'm pretty much, you know, 
mild-tempered now because I did too much <laughs> when I was young. Mm-hmm. I was doing a lot. Mm-hmm. I was drinking, I was smoking, I was doing everything when I was younger. So when I get to, when I got to college, even when I got into radio, I kind of started to come down a little bit because I was doing a lot. I was 14, 15. I started early. Everything I did, I started early. Mm. So I was wild in grad school and I was, it was like, oh man, you and that Ron show was crazy. So what ended up happening is a friend of mine worked at the radio station in Nashville, which is roughly 30 miles away from Murfreesboro, Tennessee, where MTSU is. Mm-hmm. I got it. I went on there to get um, to get try to get on air shift, and they told me you can't be you can't be on air because we don't know you and you know you ain't really all that good yet. But you could be a promotion intern, and that is what sparked everything. Uh-huh. I ended up being a promo- I've been I was a promotion intern. And I got bit by the bug. Yeah, and then I became a promotion assistant. There was a young lady there who was the director of uh, marketing over the entire cluster. Her name is Jasmine Sanders. She's the co-host of the the DL Healy Show to to this day. But she's still... So Jasmine was in Nashville. Jasmine was in Nashville. She was uh, the director of marketing, and she was director of marketing promotion. She's also, at one point, she did the morning show at one of our hip-hop stations there. But she was my, one of my first mentors in the business, and she literally rolled my ass for five years mm. to everything. So they knew I wanted to be on air, but I got bitten by the promotional bug. I was kind of coming into my own as a promotional guy within the building, and we hired a, um, a young program director named Daryl Johnson. Mm-hmm. And Daryl... One day, he was like, I heard you want to be on the air. I said, I do. He said, all right, whatever. And literally blew it off. And one day, I came to the station on a Saturday to pick up stuff for a remote because I was the, they used to call me the remote king because <laughs> I did all the remotes. <laughs> and he was like, yo, today's your first day on air. Mm-hmm. Because before I was producing Tom Joyner's Right Back At You on... Uh, WQK 92Q in Nashville I was producing the gospel show on Sunday only because they wanted to see how dedicated I was so on top of I was working a job I was working at the station and I was producing these shows I was bringing the candle at both ends yeah Um, but just one day Daryl was like yo you're on air today 10 to 2 what? Mm -hmm. he said yo you gonna do it he said you gonna do it or what? and that launched my on-air career and I was young sparks on the air. I was about to say, I know you're not raw dog assassin no more. (laughs) No, 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 no. Because it was a a program director that used to work there, used to call me the spark plug because I was always highly energetic and causing ruckus in the building. I was young and hungry. So I would tell them, they wanted to know something that was going on in the streets. They came to me. Okay. And but, but at this time, now I'm doing weekends and overnights on air. Mm-hmm. I'm also a promotion director during the day, so I'm burning the candle. And I have a job. Yeah, a regular a regular job too. So I'm burning the candles at every which way, every end. Wow. And um, um, I started doing. I started working street team for a guy, 
in Nashville, and he ended up getting a job with a label. And instead of letting me take over all his street team accounts, he got a little greedy, and he tried to do it himself, and he couldn't do it, and he ended up losing all the accounts. But everybody knew me at these labels, so they all hired me to do all these street team accounts. So now I'm the promotion director. I also have a job. I'm doing air. And now I just kind of snuck and started a, a promotion and marketing company. Wow. And I had all these accounts, all these early labels, BMT, Virgin, Def Jam, Rockefeller, um, Arista, you name it, I had it. Mm. And if you was in Nashville, they knew. I had every account on top of all the independents coming from Texas, Atlanta. If they wanted um, promotion in Nashville, they came to me, which ended up me starting a record pool. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with what a record pool is. A record pool is a um, is a business where we su- we supply DJs with music. This is before it went digital. It mm-hmm. was CDs and it was wax. So instead of them trying to individually service us, a service DJs, they would pay a record pool to service DJs. So they would pay us, and DJs would pay would pay me as well to get their music. They would have they pay a subscription service pretty much every month to get their music, roughly about forty five to hundred dollars, depending on where the pool was. Mm. And me doing that record pool is how I met one of my close friends and business partner. Ricardo Ricardo okay I see how everything is connecting now I see it I see it absolutely wow and you know what um you kind of just walked us through your entry into radio which you know even for myself is somewhat of a hazing process because you go through a lot you're burning the candle at both ends I can definitely relate to that but you got on air and you even you know, got heavy into the promotion side. What What is it about that promo side that you were really passionate about, Corey? You know, I think that, first of all, I was a hustler, period. I was the kid who sold lemonade. I was the kid who cut grass. I was the kid who shoveled snow. I was a kid that sold weed. I, I was always... I was always doing something. When I was in college, I was the kid who sold calling cards to people who didn't call home. I was I was a hustler. I was always hustling. Mm-hmm. So me getting bit by the promotion bug, it just really brought everything together mm-hmm. and realized I can do more than just one thing. I can not only be a creator, which I still to this day don't think I'm a creative, um, to be a creative. When I say creative, just being on air, to just being a businessman. And I, I learned a lot being in promotions, but being in promotions, also working, I had a management job and just dealing with just the regular politics of a radio station, I put all that together and just merged the two and, and literally just started becoming really successful to people just, I was sought out. And I was in a B market. I wasn't in Atlanta. I wasn't in Dallas, Houston. Um, me and Ricardo, we um, we formed a company at one time where we just were like, we're going to service the whole state of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So if you did something in Memphis, you had to include Nashville. If you did something in Nashville, you had to include Memphis. And I would reach us branching out. You know, we definitely would go down and do stuff in Alabama, 
to Louisville, Kentucky, Purdue, Kentucky, like Lexington, Kentucky, Knoxville. We would cover our whole radius, and our name started to spread. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, you know what? Um, you've been in the game for over 20 years. You've actually seen the transition from, you know, the digital world actually making an impact on radio, on music. How was that change for you? And, you know, what type of, I guess, uh, pivots did you have to make when we went digital? Well, it's funny. When we went digital, first of all, I started losing. I, I had a job with Interscope. I got my first job inside of a building. I was a regional promotion manager for Interscope, Interscope Gaffin in 2000, late 2006 to early 2008. And I started losing accounts because the industry, first of all, wasn't making money, money because it was still big done with the transition. People weren't buying CDs. And right. that was our prime source of income with music sales. And you have to realize um, um, the top of 2000 to mid 2000, man, the labels were making so much money. Like mm-hmm. artists were, li- like even now when you see artists, big artists selling 200,000, um, a week, that's a pretty good day but you know early 2000 late 90s artists were selling three four five six hundred thousand hard copies yeah I remember like a week mm-hmm. a week like and th- to have that revenue f- just go away it was cr- it was crippling the music business and I was a rookie and when they started cutting fat and they started cutting people out of these labels in these departments, I was one of them. Like, mm. they, they were still trying to figure it out how they were going to make money and how they were going to transition from physical copies to digital because, you know, it was still the Napster generation and people at the time, there was no streaming yet. So, no one knew how the business was going to make money. So, I mean, I, I would talk to people and, and I would talk and they were like, I don't buy music. And if you work in the music industry, for someone to say that sounds crazy. Right. <laughs> it sounds crazy. Like, I don't buy music. But now people say will say they don't buy music, but they're still spending $10 a month on streaming services. And that, just that model itself, helped the industry get back on their feet and pretty much pump more blood and pump more revenue into the business. Yes, yes. It's all about the downloads now, right? Well, it's not downloads. It's just streaming. Like, these label, labels had to literally pretty much partner with these streaming companies as well as we get a piece of every stream. That's what helped us make money because the average consumer would only buy probably 50 to $60 a year, spend that much, 60, 60 a year, on CDs. Well, with streaming, you're going to pretty much spend $120 mm-hmm. because it's $10 a month. Some of us, like myself, I have multiple streaming accounts only because I'm curious to how they work and I'm just in the business of it. But I know regular people who also have, they have Apple Music, they have Tidal, they have uh, Spotify. It's just, you just got it. Right. It's just how they roll. Right, right. So, um, you may end up spending one fifty to two hundred dollars um, 
a year on music, and if you multiply that by 50, 60 million people worldwide, it adds up. Yeah. It, it truly adds up. So that's how we were able to put the business back in place. It didn't, it, the royalties are not that positive for the artists and shit, even the labels. But it's something, though. It's something. And people literally listen to music more than they ever have. And that helped the industry get back on its feet. Yeah, I mean, and people have more options now, right? Because um, I Absolutely. remember back, it's, it's easier. Yeah. It's easier for you to be a little bit worldwide now with streaming, where you couldn't do that with CD sales. Right, right, and it, it makes me think about like back in the day. Um, you know, I, I remember you coming through the station with artists and, you know, getting their records played and things of that nature. And something that I've noticed is I don't see artists coming through the station like they used to. What is going on with that, Corey? Um, well, it's a couple things. First of all, it takes a lot to move artists around. So it's, it's expensive and it's just, a, it's also, it's a generational thing now. Like, these kids are hella creative, but highly introverted. They have not went through some of the same things that their older peers had to go through to break music. Their stuff is simply digital, whereas if you can go, I'll just throw a name out, David Banner. David Banner got in a van and went everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yo Gotti got in a van and went everywhere. Yeah. They don't do they don't have to do that anymore. They just simply don't. So like even now during the during the pandemic, we do and most labels are doing this are IG live interviews with the station. Because you get to merge your followers. If a if a if an artist has, I don't know, seven hundred thousand followers and the station has I don't know fifty thousand followers, and now they're all watching this. This is a that's a lot. That's a big audience. Yeah, that's a big audience to do so. And just the fact that a lot of it's, it's just it's expensive to move these guys around, and sometimes it just makes sense to keep it digital. Yeah. I would love to get more artists in the faces of more DJs and program directors, but it's a slippery slope. Yeah, especially with, you know, social media, that has definitely taken over. But it seems to me like it's easier to do the virtual interviews now. And just speaking of artists in general, let's talk about artists. I know you have an eye for talent, Corey. What do you think makes a good artist in 2020? (sighs) Um, (laughs) Why get the big breath? You know, it's it's a different generation. These these kids are um, tech savvy. They're very creative. They have everything in their homes. Like I have, you know, friends and colleagues, and you know, they have sons and daughters that have studios, like little miniature studios in their homes, and uh, beat making equipment. And you know, some people just some people want to be good artists. And some people are just stars. And you could just, some stars walk in the room and you know that they're stars. Like, I was out years ago, man, aging myself, with um, Trey, Trey Songz was doing like a Black College tour. And he used to open up, who who opened up for Trey Songz? 
Chris Brown. Mm-hmm. And he was a star then. Yep. He was opening up <laughs> for Trey Songz. Right. But he was he was he was he was like fifteen. Sixteen years old. He was he was he had to start some some people just got it, man. They just got it. So you just never know. Um what is sometimes it may not be their time. Usher Usher from Chattanooga. He was you know, he was trying to figure himself out for years until he finally figured himself out and he became a huge star. It just happened like that. A lot mm-hmm. of these artists, it takes time. It, it, and sometimes it's about really grinding out and finding your voice as an artist to bring that star quality out. Some artists can walk in a room and woo everybody and they just don't have the music. They're stars, but they just don't have the music. Right. And it's, you know, when you, when you get that combination of star power and great music is unstoppable. Right. Now, some of the artists you just mentioned, your Chris Browns, your Trey Songs, um, like even a Drake. When I think about some of the artists that are topping the charts now, stark differences, like let's just say uh, The Baby, Lil Baby. I mean, the styles are just totally different now. What do you think about, I guess, this new era of hip-hop? Well, I mean, I think I go from the, the, to Lil Baby and the Baby. Um, Lil Baby, I'm based. I'm currently based in Atlanta, so I saw like he would, he was putting out music, and when he had a song with Drake, and I was like, you know what, Drake's looking at this kid. I hadn't heard any songs that I really loved yet, and I still think the, the first record he officially put out was Drake. I think Drake stole the show. <laughs> but I think Baby just oh, consistently just he wanted it he wants it more than everybody else and the mm-hmm. kid is just rapping his ass off and I I myself personally I compare him to T.I. to T.I. Mm. because I think he's gonna be the next tip I think he just can rap he just rap his ass off and he has star quality now I can go back I can go to the Baby the Baby just happens to be managed by a really close friend of mine named Arnold Taylor so I knew what he was cooking with that kid for years. I actually took the baby to um, a scene called in Atlanta called Music Monday with the Coalition DJs. Coalition DJs are a DJ collective here in Atlanta who pretty much run the strip clubs and they, they've they been around for a long time and they and they matter and they do like a little showcase thing each and every Monday at um, uh, the studio, uh, Big Boy Studio. Um, I want to say, I for some reason I can't think of the name of it. It's crazy, but so I took him to perform there, maybe 2017, just because he's a he's he's in my, he's my friend's artist. Like mm-hmm. he said, Corey, I can't make it. Can you take him to court? He say, for you, absolutely. <laughs> like you know, he wasn't signed, but I remember what those kids were. They didn't like his music. They 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 said his music. It's okay, but it was like, man, that kid's a star. I mm. remember them telling me that. I still have video footage of that. It was like, man, that song was okay, but man, you got something. And I remember them saying that, and I and I remember telling Arnold Taylor his name. I'm gonna tell Arnold like I said, man, if that boy catch a record, it's over. And he caught a record two years later. Yeah, and he's one of the biggest. He's one of the biggest stars in the business. So you just, and my man Arnold, credit to him. He believes in that kid from the jump, and he's like, man, I know he got something. 
he's got the he's got the personality, he's got the charisma, he's got the work ethic. And yeah. really as a as an artist in this business where this business moves so fast, you know, if you hide for eighteen 18 months, 24 months, it could change your whole entire life. Right. Like, you can get rich and you can get rich in 18 <laughs> months. 18 months in the music business can change the entire landscape of your life. Mm-mm. And a lot of people don't realize that. Wow. And you know what? Something you just touched on is management. Let's talk about management for a minute because, you know, we have a lot of artists that are um independent and um I, I see quite a few artists that that are out here promoting themselves on social media not under any major labels and things of that nature how important is it to have good management as an artist i, I personally believe that a good manage can make good and bad management can make or break you mm. um I definitely think it helps to have somebody with experience in the field. But management is exactly that. It's management. You are managing a person and you're managing all the complexity of their life, rather personal or business. And it's hard to tell kids or grown or shit, semi grown people what to do. Yeah. They gotta trust you. You know, and even if they trust you, you know, you still gonna do what you want to do. Shit, I got a attorney that is down like my manager, and I'll be like, I still, you can do this, but you should do this, and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna do what I want to do. <laughs> right. And that's just how management is. So it's you're managing just like you would manage a situation. You're managing the person, and that is not for everybody. It's, it can be a great opportunity to grow a business and. You know, to to build somebody up from nothing to something. But what I have seen with managers is that they do a lot for people and they don't get rewarded, or they mm-hmm. get dumped when it's time to you know when the artist really breaks. They get dumped for a bigger agency or a big name manager that didn't do the work that they did, and that's always been my problem with artist management. Which is why I've never managed an artist. Mm. Have you been approached many times on uh, artists wanting you to Absolutely. manage them? <laughs> you say no. Absolutely. I've, I've, <laughs> yeah, I have. I've, I've, only, I've only wanted to manage two artists in my entire career. Give us and the name. I names. won't say who it is. Oh man. I won't say who it is. I won't say who it is. <laughs> one is one is kind of he's not out the business, but he's kind of doing his own thing. And one is currently in the business, and he signed to the label I work for. Okay. But only because both of them, they just got the work ethic and they got the music. And I know they, they have, it's got star power, man. They got star power. But I don't think I have right now the temperament for artist management. And I'm, I'm pretty can admit that. I know that's a big stage right now. A lot of people are snatching up artists. And I'm just honest with myself. I don't think I have the, the temperament to deal with someone because it, when it's good, it's good. Mm-hmm. But if I'm if I'm with an artist and they don't want to do the work, if I'm working harder than you, this is not going to work. Right. And I see it a lot. Yeah, they can be talented, but they're not going to do the work. Mm-hmm. 
That's why that work ethic is so important. Consistency. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, the industry we all know is built on relationships. And I know that you have a plethora of, you know, them, them good old relationships in the business. Corey, tell us what you've learned about relationships and people over the years in this business. What have you learned? Well, first of all, I think people should, you have to realize that this is the business of music and it's still a business and you may have business relationships and you may have personal relationships and you may have business personal relationships. Um, I think it's sometimes it's not that wise to get your feelings caught up in the you know in the Kool Aid when you're trying to get some of the stuff done because as a it's not you're not managing now you're managing yourself and you have to be able to control your emotions when you go into certain situations with people. I for me working on a promotional end, I deal with a lot of from DJs, programmers. Um, on top of on our side on a label from higher higher up executives PR people management everybody has their own agenda mm-hmm. so having those relationships with people to really just figure out who, how you need to maneuver to get shit done is important to some people you, you have to go to the right person to be able to get shit done, and that's the importance of these relationships. I, and I know a lot of people. I don't deal with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I don't. And, that, and if someone told you that they're lying, and everybody in this business has their crew. They know who to deal with. I know who to deal with and who I want to talk to if I'm dealing with a situation at a different label. I know if I want to get something done at the label I work for. I know who in what department I need, I need to talk to. Because I don't want to talk to this person. I can talk to this person because I know this person can get it done. Mm. You know, and it goes back to a lot of these. I go back to artists. Some of these artists have two managers. There's one manager that knows how to preserve the relationships and deal with the business. And there's one manager knows how to deal with the artist. And you have to know how to manage that relationship with everybody. Mm. You know, I don't get, I don't, I try not to get too personal with a lot of guys. I, I try, I try to keep a business with a lot of these, um, just in general with a lot of these guys because for me, if it gets too personal and it get it goes all the way left, then people get thrown under the bus. Mm. So I prefer me personally. I, I like to keep it vanilla. Let's <laughs> keep it your business because I know who my friends are. Right. I know my friends are in the business, so I know who, and I also know who I do great business with. We don't have to be friends, but I know who I do great business with in the business, so I don't have to do too much to get things done. Right, right. Now, you've worked with so many artists over the years. Now, are there any memorable moments with some of these artists, like a good old story you would like to share with a verbally effective audience? You know, one of those good old memorable times you've had. <laughs> well, stories, I, I, would, I would rather just say, I'd rather say success stories. Yes. And... Because I don't want to give out, you know, I'll leave it for my memoirs as far as the, the stories. Because, <laughs> you, know, you know, I've seen a lot of shit. 
I know you have. I know you have. So, but but I will say, um, for me being around um, roughly twenty years, to see Yogati's growth, to see what he's became, um, see Future. Like when I got to Epic, we they just signed Future, literally just signed now. Um, to see his growth and see how he's become one of the biggest voices in in hip hop. Mm-hmm. Um, those are stories that I prefer to do. I, it's not about me. When you work on, I, my job is to be, you know, to I'm not the star. It's not about me. It's all for me. It's all about the artist. Mm-hmm. So I don't have any stories that, like, far as memories. If I want to do memories, it'd be like certain things that we created an epic early on, from just some of the history we made to, you know. Um, Benchmarks we made on media base and taking records, so many records number one, they form back to back three times in a row, number one records. Mm. Um, like to have them, we, we used to have this big thing with LAV, was our chairman called Epic Fest. It was like a festival with all epic artists that we used to do during BT weekend at the Sony, uh, the Sony Studio Soundstage, and just big shit like that that we used to do. That, I'm, that I was just, you know, happy that I'm a part of an organization that does that. But I'm also part of, like, dealing with, um, you know, my stuff I've done with uh, my good friend Ricardo Hunter to my other mentor, Lester Pace, to my other mentor, Benny Pugh. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, taking things. I'm a big, what I do is not fun. It's analytics. I'm a numbers guy. So, I enjoy taking shit from A to Z. And that's what my business is. Yeah. A to Z is not pretty. It's not the stuff that people write home about. I'm not on IG posting up crazy, taking pictures with artists. You rarely see that out of me. I'm mm-hmm. out the, I'm really about the work. I, I enjoy what I do, but I'm just truly about the work. And the stories I have, I'm definitely not going to tell because <laughs> I've seen... I'm, I've seen a lot, and some things for me on, on my mm-hmm. side of the business is it's best to keep in the secret. Okay, you gonna save it for your memoirs? I hear you, Corey. I hear you. <laughs> but I definitely yeah. can tell that you know you're very results driven. Um, you like to see the finishing product, and you know so much has changed with the climate of the music industry now with the effects of COVID-19. I mean, when it hit, it hit hard. And I really don't think people understand the impact that it has had on the music industry. Can you kind of, you know, shed some light on what you've seen with the effects of COVID with the music industry? Well, let me tell you what it affects the most. And 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 I'll say this to like my peers and, Black artists in the past, I don't know, three to five years, we really learned how to tour tour. And I'm not talking about big artists, mid-level, even lower-level artists. They finally got out to clubs, and they learned how to tour. So they got out to clubs, started doing venues. Other um, entities started doing festivals. They were getting booked for these festivals, making a shitload of money and that's over mm. like imagine someone canceling your income for 12 to 18 months and that's pretty much what happened to these people mm-hmm. it, it doesn't affect the label 
as well as much, but it affects us because you have artists. We putting out, we we we're still putting out music, we're still putting out albums, but the artists how they eat, and I I'm never gonna be one to hate on how somebody eat. Like their their whole <laughs> how they make money is being zapped away from them, and they can't make money for over a year, mm-hmm. maybe eighteen months. And that is what hurts. Like, I don't like it. And these aren't just the artists. It's the tour managers, um, road managers, venues, um, production guys. And that's what they, they've been doing for a long time. I got so many people on the just on the touring side of the business. And, yo, it's just over. Mm. And for me, I work inside the building. So even I'm I'm in the field I'm in the like I'm in the building I, I'm, they can call me a suit whatever but I wasn't always a suit I was before I was you know in the buildings I was in the streets just getting my money and these guys were just hustling they got artists out of labels and but they going on tour doing fifty to a hundred hundred fifty days a year even if they doing small venues they're making great making good money and it's over for a year and a half because of COVID nineteen. And that is why I don't like it. And now, now that we're two, what two and a half months in, two months, two months in, like they, they, of course, what they do, they're being creative and finding ways to make revenue. But it's not going to be the same for a long time. Like for them, like from Coachella to Rolling Loud to all these big festivals that benefited our artists, and now they just don't have it. The yeah. artists can't go on the road. It was big. It was big tours planned. Like this year in Atlanta is the 25th anniversary of uh, a birthday bash, uh, Hot One Seven Nine, and it's oh, it's not going to happen. Yeah, like that's it's big. Mm-hmm. It's big. I'm seeing like so many these artists doing Rolling Loud and doing these big festivals, and it's just not going to making a boatload of money. Because I'm always about people getting paid. I don't care about. I'm not a hater. I'm always about people getting paid, and they just lost that. You know, mm-hmm. and shit, man. We and a lot of these guys, they, they take care of a lot of people. Yeah, these artists, yo, it's some like it ain't just them. Like it's production people, it's DJs, it's like I said before, uh, tour and bus drivers, and you know, it's and all that shit's over. So that is in shit. You got creatives where some of them are now finally getting back in the studio slowly, but the studio sessions aren't the same because you can't have a lot of people. So mm-hmm. everything's different right now on the creative side, touring side. Hasn't affected the business because now people have time to really listen to music. Mm-hmm. Streaming is down somewhat because movie streaming is up, but labels are still making a shitload of money because people listen to music all day long and streaming literally saved the business and now it's just going up more because people are just sitting at home playing music. It's a lot of music out here in the atmosphere. And I just wish these artists, and maybe right now, it's a lot of music coming out and they can't go benefit from it. And that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Hit real hard. And, you know, we're all adjusting to our new normal now. So hopefully things will get back on track. I don't think it'll ever be the same Absolutely. like you mentioned, but um, hopefully with things opening up, I'm seeing, you know, uh, clubs starting to soft open somewhat um hopefully you know that but, but but would you go to a now and t- let's think of a vaccine 
Would you really go to a festival? Not me. Nope. <laughs> Not right yeah, now. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't think I'm ready to go to a festival. Yeah. So until that happens, I'm kind of, eh, <laughs> I'm kind of on the edge. Yeah. We treading lightly with that right now. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. So, uh, Corey, what, what, what is the outlook uh, right now with your marketing uh, business? You're the owner of Spark Brand LLC. Tell me more about Spark Brand LLC and what's going on with that. Well, with my company, I specialize in um, helping independent consulting, uh, independent labels, because I started as an independent. And a lot of these guys just don't have, they don't know, they don't know how to maneuver with either getting records played, setting up um, promotional campaigns, or even just strategy. Mm-hmm. A lot of these guys just got an artist, they have pretty good music, and they don't know what else to do. And I try to come in, and I try to come in and help, and just offer insight what they should be doing. Because, I mean, shit, let's be honest, everybody doesn't know, like, there's some things about the business that I'm not privy to. And they know what they're doing. They know a production guy can tell me everything about their inner workings of the studio life. They can't tell me nothing about promotion and strategy because mm-hmm. I know that. So I wouldn't purposely try to. Oh, I know how to get your album. I know how to get this and that. I get this done. But I know how to get you. I know how to get you from A to Z, far as for your music to radio to DSPs. You get yourself on these digital streaming platforms. I can do that. And I also can bring other things. I know how to help you get your digital stuff together. I know how to get your business together. Like some of these, I've, I've been approached people don't have email addresses. Mm. Like they, they don't know how to. Well, I mean, look, some of these guys don't come from shit. They, they, they know how to do certain things and they don't know how to do other things. Mm-hmm. The business, you know, so I can come in. I have some of the partners that I work with just really as a consultant firm and just to help people out go from A to Z what they're trying to you know what goals they're trying to do independent wise okay cool they need that Corey they really do because <laughs> some I, people trust me I know yeah I, I know you've seen it all uh, in the business you know you're you know, one of the top people to, as a go-to in the music game, you know, I've noticed that over the years uh, with you coming in and out of Memphis, but I I know that everyone has always spoken very highly of you, and I I do want to hit on something before we end the pod. Um, I definitely enjoyed you, but um, there's something that we're all dealing with right now that has come down. Um, You're a black man, um, and mm-hmm. you're a father, you're a son, and you know we recently just witnessed the death of George Floyd. It went viral. We saw the police officer, you know, literally, you know, stand on this man's neck for nine minutes on a video, and everyone is outraged right now. Uh, what are your thoughts, Corey, on the George Floyd death? And you know, as a black man. How do you plan to move forward? How has this affected your life? Well, the sad thing about the George Floyd incident is that when I first saw the video, I thought it was something I had seen before, which made me feel like this is starting to be somewhat normal. 
that every so often we get a video of a black man get, you know, being killed by a police officer or someone else. Which, that was something in itself that I had to really think about, like, man, like, how normal is it that I thought this was an old, something I had already seen before? Mm. Um, I'm not comfortable. Um, I've never been comfortable around police in the first place. Mm. I, I come from, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I, I come from the inner city. I've always been, um, I've been harassed by the police. I've been arrested. I've dealt with a lot with police. I've had, I've been roughed up by the police when I was a kid. Mm. So I've never had a great relationship with authority in the first place, but I also know that if I want to live, I need to go ahead and tone it down a little bit so I can get through whatever this traffic stop is or this questioning, whatever it is. I truly don't know what we need to do to move forward, but I do know that as black people, we feel that when these things happen to us, nothing ever happens, which is which explains, like, either from the president or the, I think I was on the news, watching the news today, maybe it was the attorney general of Minnesota, I'm not sure who it was, the black guy, and mm-hmm. what Gail King was trying to tell, her, tell him was that the reason people are upset is that this dude has not been arrested, and they don't, it's like simple, simple shit that they don't understand. The, people, the reason why people are looting and rioting is not only it's because he's dead, he got choked out on, on camera. Y'all ain't did shit. Right. And that's the issue. We feel, that's why they, that's the whole phrase behind Black Lives Matter because if you do something, anything with us, we going downtown. You know, we getting arrested, it happens quickly and we don't feel that police should be exempt from that and they all obviously are and we have a problem it's the same thing that happened uh, down here in Brunswick, uh, Georgia with uh, Ahmad. we got killed by a former officer and like it took two months and the tape to come out for them to be arrested Yeah. and you want to wonder why people feel a certain way I don't understand what's the hold up exactly. and that is the issue that we're dealing with we want, we want answers they're not giving us any answer. So, okay, sometimes, you know, you got kids, you know, sometimes your kids going to act the fool to get a response. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? We're going to act the fool until we get a response. Yeah, because they bombed. You're going to tell us, they burnt a fucking precinct down yesterday. Yes, they burning, baby. They burning. Minneapolis and on I'm fire. I'm not mad at that. I'm not either. I'm not either, though. <laughs> and, I, and I just I remember... Like when um, when Mike Brown was killed and the riots in, in this, they can say Ferguson all day, the shit was St. Louis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and they had the riots in Ferguson. And it was the same thing. People want results, man. You can't just do this to us and then, okay, well, he's a police officer, so he gets fired. Who gets a Because if you look closely, a lot of these guys can just pop up at a different, different precinct. Mm-hmm. in the next six six to 12 months and could be literally 50 miles from where they were but they're in a different police department and it's like nothing ever happens and that we don't we don't have that privilege to do that so we want answers so until we get answers I'm not upset with anybody doing what they have to do to pretty much shake the table to get some results definitely and, and this cop that committed this crime 
<clears throat> this this cat been a, a police officer for over 20 years and had a very ugly past as an as an officer and has never been reprimanded so you know that's public information right now and it's just really you know pissing everybody off at this point but um i definitely hope that we find justice for george floyd like many of the other black men that have been killed at the hands of uh police officers but um Thank you for your insight, Corey Sparks. I definitely appreciate you. I mean, you have so much history in the music business, and I'm so glad you were able to join me today to shed light on your world, your journey. No problem. And I pray that, you know, the the, the industry picks back up, especially for these artists, so that they can flourish and win like they've been doing. So at this time, I want you to... Uh, you know, provide your contact information or your social media handles so people can keep up with Corey Sparks. Um, it's Corey Sparks on Facebook. That's Corey with no E, C O R Y. Um, Corey Sparks on Twitter. Corey Sparks on Instagram. It's Corey with no E, C O R Y S P A R K S. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Sparks. You keep doing your thing out here in this music business. And I definitely appreciate you for sharing your journey today on the Verbally Effective Podcast. Thank you for having me.